Sharon and I have been sheltering in place here at our home in Gloucester County, Virginia. Gloucester is just across the York River from Yorktown, where the Revolutionary War ended. It's very close to Williamsburg, the colonial capital of Virginia. And for all of you UVA students and alumni, where it's the place where Mr. Jefferson attended school. This is a beautiful piece of land, one and a half acres, water on three sides, and a house that just finished 14 months of renovation. And this land on which I am standing has done everything it can to destroy my faith in God. Why is that, you might ask? Well, growing amongst the beautiful pines, dogwoods, tulip poplars, and oaks are these, wisteria vines. These things are simply amazing. They can grow what appear to be an inch a day. They've got these long roots that grow along and below the ground, and then they climb onto a tree, spiraling the trunk, oftentimes killing the tree in the process. And then they branch out into a beautiful canopy of flowers. It really is beautiful. But this is a weed. It is an invasive species, and it was everywhere. Short, shortly after we bought the place, every time we came down, we removed wisteria. We tried an herbicide, but that was too slow for my compulsiveness toward immediate results. So I cut it at the roots, pulled the vines out of the trees, and in my madness, it was not pretty. I occasionally got into poison ivy, and when I did, I would spend a month cursing the ground, angry with myself for jumping in without thinking. I blame the wisteria. Seven years ago, if you had driven by this property, you would have seen trees covered in dead vines hanging down like a horror movie. The dead trees that I cut down wouldn't even fall to the ground because the vines held those trees up in suspension. I would have nightmares of those vines coming down and encircling me at, and tightening around my chest so that I couldn't breathe. And to think, some sincere soul planted these vines many years ago. Not long ago, we believed we had finally conquered the wisteria. The dead wisteria in the trees is now gone. The surviving trees have come into a second life, and below those trees, sunlight is creating all sorts of ground cover. But every now and then, when Sharon and I walk through the woods, she will look down and see a young wisteria vine poking its ugly little head. She runs, she gets the equipment that she needs, and she destroys it right away. Sharon is very diligent about getting rid of wisteria. I understand how the property owner in today's parable felt about some enemy, even the sincerest of enemies, planting an invasive species and weeds in his or her garden. Weeds living among the good plants are not restricted to gardens and landscapes. 
We all know of co-workers who don't carry their fair share of the load at work. We know of fellow students at school who cheat or hold the rest of the class back. And we all know of folks who aren't telling the full truth when they explain their actions. We all have family members who gossip, who make poor choices and make life sometimes miserable for the rest of the family. What does today's parable say to that? As I seek to understand the story, first of all, I'm struck that sometimes what I see as a weed may be a good plant. <coughs> I spoke of the person who originally planted the wisteria and the bamboo on this property as a sincere enemy. I have no doubt this owner planted these things to bring a sense of privacy to the home. And boy, were they successful. You couldn't even see the house from the road. Sharon and I love our privacy too, but we also love having neighbors and interacting with them. We like to see our neighbors not hide behind veils of vines and plants, which then leads me to wonder, how do I know something is a weed or a good plant? I can't tell you how many times I've pulled up what I thought were weeds only to be told by my long suffering wife that that is a good plant. Well, it was when it was still living. I've learned not to trust myself to distinguish the good from the bad. I've learned that I must not have inherited the gene that helps one distinguish between good plants and bad. And not only plants, but other things as well. I sure wouldn't want to be the one who has to decide which plants are good and which are weeds in today's story. Think of all the ways we have understood social issues over the years and how those understandings have changed. I give thanks for what we as followers of John Wesley call the quadrilateral. When we consider social issues, we base our decisions on what we will do, not only on scripture, but also on reason, tradition, and experience. Otherwise, we can be locked into how people long ago viewed their world and make that the model for today as well. At one time, it was perfectly acceptable to purchase and keep slaves, but that has changed. The many voices saying Black Lives Matter are challenging those traditions, such as commemorating Confederate officers. We can't erase history, but we must learn from it. Idolizing soldiers who fought against the United States flag is not learning from history, but venerating the very institutions that are on the wrong side of history. The parable also could be indicating that we should not be wasting our time weeding God's garden of creation. Think of all that time that could be spent enjoying one another's company, but instead it's used to work in the fields of life cleaning up. Truth be told, we can pick this parable apart piece by piece. We can read our own experience into it, but the bottom line is that even Jesus' disciples did not fully understand it. After all, Jesus is describing God's kingdom, a radical idea not only then, 
but today as well. In the second half of our reading, they asked Jesus to explain this parable to, to them. Now, what is of note is that he has told two other parables in the meantime, the mustard seed and the yeast. But the disciples can't get past the weeds growing amongst the good seed. I suspect they are much like me. Perhaps they're much like you as well. We have this compulsiveness toward perfectionism. We want our lives in order. We want to grow gardens that can appear on the cover of Gardens, Gardener's Digest. We want our yards to appear on the side of a Scots grass seed bag. But God's kingdom isn't clean like that. It's not perfect, at least not in this life and place. How does Jesus explain the parable? He says that the listener, you and me, are the plants. We're the good seed, I hope. We're not the planter, God is that. We're not the harvester or the reaper, God handles that as well. We are the seeds, the plants. We have no agency in this parable. We take no action because we are the seed, we're just there but we are there living amongst other good seed and weeds. This is what God's kingdom is like. Just as we have no agency in the parable, we have no agency in how God's kingdom appears. A kingdom that looks more like our lives right now in the midst of this pandemic, when summer camps are canceled, vacation Bible school won't be held on site, but virtually. Vacation plans are up in the air. College graduations were either online or postponed until the fall. You can only enter a grocery store when it's really necessary. And you even then, you always wear a mask. These are unsettling times. Sure, some of the good plants are harmed by the weeds growing around them but there will still be a great harvest. Our lives are deeply affected by this pandemic, but we're learning to live with it. We're spending more time with family. We're reading more. There are some good things that have come out of the weeds of social distancing. Life goes on and there will be a great harvest. I think today's parable is written for a time such as this. When our lives are so disrupted, when living responsibly means we choose not to do some of those things we might want to do, that even now God is at work. Even in the weeds of pandemic, God's kingdom is all around us and there will be a great harvest. And that is speaking truth. Amen.